Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Faster than a speeding buffet, it is episode 127, with Brian McMillan and I discussing exciting new developments in Superman's underwear for just a little over two hours. Yes, it is true, we talk Superman Unchained number one, The Fortress of Solitude, that weird space thong thing he wore for a while, uh, Action Comics number 21, and Superman number 20. Non-Superman underwear topics include Judge Dredd Magazine, Suicide Squad, Batman Zero Year, Super Mag by Jim Rugg, Brightest Day, Empowered, Jennifer Blood, Forever Evil, Relish by Lucy Nisley, and much, much more. Somewhat truncated show notes are available for you over at SavageCritic.com, and we always welcome your comments and questions at WaitWhatPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, we hope you enjoy yeah, bless, sir. Graham McMillan. How you doing, sir? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I am okay. Let me see if I can show you this so you can see... Um, I can see you in a t-shirt and a shit ton of boxes. What is that? That That is what I've been doing, Edie and I, sh- I should say, have been doing for the last four and a half hours and most Putting of the weekend. comics in boxes? <laughs> Okay, this is terrifying, but I have to tell you, I have something like 23 long boxes of comics. <laughs> My God. None of them are sorted. So <laughs> oh, wow. we're beginning the process of sorting all of the comics and bringing them into one alphabetized pile sort. And you have 23 long boxes. Yeah. Yeah, these are over here behind. <laughs> on on s- Sunday, we basically did the first eight where we took them uh-huh. and alphabetized them. Then we grabbed the next eight, and we're in the process of putting them all together. This, so I'll end up with 16 boxes that will be alpha sorted. Then we're going to do the next eight, bring them into that, and then the final eight and bring them into oh, that. Oh, good luck. No, no, no. Before you, before you put the camera back, yes. show me it again and move your arms out of the way, and I'm going to take a photograph of it for, for the listeners. Okay. So. That's like, amazing, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> isn't that terrifying? Like. Yes, it really is. <laughs> I mean, that that's uncanny, and maybe not uncanny in a good way. How long? I mean, that's going to take you forever. Yeah, you would think, but the the crazy thing is, if if it was just me, a, it would take forever, and b, it would end You'd incomplete with my death. Yeah, I would be oh, dead. I and I say, no, I thought you'd just stop and read everything. That's what I do. Well, that is that's true. the problem with me when I'm yeah. like, I should put these comics away. Oh, but wait, what have I even read this one? Oh, this is a great one. Da, da, da. Suddenly it's like, you know, three days later, and I'm like, well, I didn't accomplish anything. But that Green Lantern Core comic was really good. Oh my god, I found some Green Lantern Core. And in fact, I was like, I should just send some of this stuff to Graham, because there was, there was <laughs> stuff that I'm just like, ah. Oh. Uh, no, I've been really good at not rereading it. Um, and in part, part of it is because Edie has been amazing helping me Edie's at like, every step of the put way. Put it away. Put it away. Yeah. Put it away. <laughs> actually, she doesn't. She doesn't mind because she's actually too busy sorting. I mean, so step one is literally taking those eight boxes. Like the yesterday, we went to the, my storage space. We grabbed eight long boxes. We brought them back, and then each box got sort sorted alphabetically A to Z. So you end up with eight bo- eight long boxes alpha sure, sorted. Which are all alphabet, yeah. Yeah, and then. So, I have a question. Yes. 
are you keeping all of the comics? Or are you going through them and you're like, well, actually, why do I even own this? I am actually kind of thinking that this is <laughs> this is like comic book hospice, uh, Graham. This is this is basically me getting ready to say goodbye. I think. Oh, they're all going to go. You shouldn't say that out loud. They're right beside you. I know. They're probably going to be <laughs> They can hear. <laughs> they could crush me. That's the thing. If they sneak up right, there's enough long boxes to actually... So should we minimize so we don't actually do this thing? Oh, let, let's And minimize. by we, I mean me. Because like, every time I look back, you're just hanging out. Oh, okay. I, I've, I've minimized. You're, we're, we're off. Okay, we're hold gone. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And And there we go. And I've minimized as well. Um, there you go. Welcome, so, listeners, to the strange new reality that is Wait What. Where yeah. Jeff and I talk while talking to each other, and then we're like, we've got to stop looking at each other. This is kind of weird. <laughs> well, it's true. It's always great seeing you, but I'm like, I mean, apart from my man boobs in the t-shirt problem, there's oh, the fact the top of my still. head, look, I look like it. I look like one of those Christmas trees in like a Rankin-Bass Christmas special. I just don't... It's because the beard comes out so far. That's the problem. Yeah, it really does. It's the, really... The beard is providing, if you will, the tree dress. The, the beard is pretty much providing everything, I have to say. I'm trying to think where I was yesterday when somebody was like, hey, that beard. <laughs> it was, it was, it was like, it was somewhere strange. Did, did you know them? No, no. I mean, and that happens a lot. So, well, first off, I think I told you every homeless person in San Francisco, now that I have a beard, thinks they know me, which I don't know what that means, <laughs> really. That might say you need to trim the beard a little bit. Yeah, that's not going to keep it. Le- 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 you're never going to trim the beard. Are you really going to turn into Alan Moore? Because I'm not sure how I feel about that. I want to see. I want to see how much farther. I'm sort of. I'm hoping I can get to ZZ to- top lengths, but we'll see. I think. I don't. I think it's really. It's just starting to get curlier and wavier <coughs> so we'll see I'll probably look like one of those steampunk jerks so you know <laughs> sorry steampunk listeners uh, exactly you have just offended a I don't know do you think we have a, a large percentage of steampunk listeners I don't I wouldn't necessarily think so yeah I was I was gonna say you know you've probably offended like five percent if not less of our listeners yeah I don't know. I... listeners are you into steampunk <laughs> You should tell us. I'm really curious. I'm uh, steampunk is something that fascinates me as a uh, like a a, a sub genre or a, a, a you know a, a subculture. Really? Yeah, it always seems. I I've never met someone who's into steampunk like mm-hmm. actually into it, mm-hmm. where it's not the thing they're into. If that makes sense. Wait. All right, maybe the double negatives is throw me out. So you're saying you do know people who are into steampunk, but they're really into steampunk. Yeah, is what you're I, saying? yeah. They're, they're, okay. It feels like there's no halfway. Like there's people right. who are like, yeah, steampunk, that's kind of cool, and that's fine. But I don't know anyone who's like actually into steampunk, where it is not like the thing that they're into. Right. Exactly. Like it's kind of just a little part-time thing. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I I would be I would be kind of curious to know. It is a fascinating little uh, side genre jaunt and nobody buys into this but my whole theory about it is is like like i mean admittedly part of it is like oh the fashion and the you know the sort of clockwork gears thing like there's a lot of influences whether that runs from like anime on up to to have the influence that it does but i'm kind of fascinated by the retro victorianism I guess going on at it, and I really think that it's because of this weird, um, 
it's it's so appropriate to our time right now because I feel like the the internet is sort of the 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 industrial revolution for thought you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. um so I really feel like a lot of people are kind of like oh you know (laughs) even though we're all basically there's so many people on the internet who are just sort of some some people are doing their own things but there are other people who are really hustling to try and make a living and it's really hard because the industrial revolution has hit this entire realm of professional creators and even professional thinkers you know writing being able to make a a living writing um on the internet is so much harder now than it is than it used to be and i think that's because essentially the internet is like one big assembly line um for thought you know oh i i completely agree and i but i think that i'd widen it i think that it, being able to make a living from writing full stop is yeah. harder as yeah, a result, yeah, yeah. or at least uh, non-fiction. Yeah, I, I feel that you know, fiction is 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 its own thing. Right. I don't think the internet has learned to essentially uh, harness the power of crowdsourcing and free content creation mm-hmm. in terms of fiction, but definitely in terms of non-fiction. Yeah, holy shit, it's really hard. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I say, I say that as someone who does that and got into it because of the internet's democratization of it. So it's not like I was like, and then all the times that I was working pre-internet and I was writing, <laughs> yeah, that never happened. But like, even just from my experience, because I've been doing this for holy crap, ten years now. Yes. Um, it really does become harder all the time, constantly. Yeah, exactly. No, and it's true. I mean, that's the thing is, is it started off being this. Um like you said, the democratization, it like opened the doors, it, you know, it allowed a lot of people more easy access to it. And then you could take advantage of that. But then as it continued to grow, you know, that door grow wider and wider and wider. And it went from a bottleneck to just this deluge, you know? Um, and, and then because of the wacky laws of, you know, supply and demand and, you know, just as in the first industrial revolution, people who own the tools, you know, and put you on the assembly lines are basically cocks, you know, or at least are, are <laughs> believe that the Jeff Lesser be history possible. of the world is something that I, I really look forward to uh, reading when you eventually get around to writing. I, I would love to do that. The Industrial Revolution run by cocks. Well, it is true. It really would be. Most of history really would have to be understood by cocks. Yeah, it's pretty much like, and this person was an utter cock. Uh, <clears throat> which I feel like we should talk about some piece of comics news right there. Like, like okay, this is trenchy. Surely somebody's acted like a huge cock uh, that we can talk about, right? Like, Comics uh, news? I, I think we probably be, not, huh? Missing outright cockneyish. Really? Um, huh. Yeah. Let's see. What What have we had in the last week? We've had the the Gary Friedrich thing, which is a thing that is completely obsessing me right now. Oh, I figured it would be actually. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see. What have we had? I don't think we've had anything that's been really cockish, have we? I guess not. I guess no one no one's really losing their shit. I suppose, which is which is fine. Like last week, we had a certain amount of people losing their shit who knows <laughs> depending on me and arista development i was the cock and that and and which is uh perfectly awesome oh you know we should talk about because i read kick-ass 2 prelude colon hit girl by mark millar and john romita jr that seems like a really pretty ta- good ta- talking about a cock yeah exactly uh, <laughs> <laughs> so wait 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 oh first of all why 
uh, it, I was stopped in the library and they had the hardcover collection there on the graphic novel shelves, and I was like, eh, you know. Did, um, you, did you read Kickass? I am trying to think if I did or not. I think I might have read the first two or three issues and gave up, or alternately, I read the first two or three issues while I was working at a comic book store and then stopped. But, and here's the thing. I saw Kick-Ass when it came around to Netflix, like, I don't know, nine months, a year ago, or something like that. It's still on there. I still haven't watched it. I watched it. I kind of enjoyed it. It was... I... It's it's weird. It's interesting to me the way in which um, I realize how much lower my standards are for comic for movies than comics. You know, weirdly enough, like Mark Millar's ability to make basically his ability to make a shitty enjoyable movie seems actually higher to me than than a shitty enjoyable comic. You know, because I well, remember not he had help on the movie. Well, and that that I think that does that does serve him uh, quite well. You know. Um. So yeah. So uh. So Kickass Two Prelude Hit Girl, um. Is, uh, a bunch of fucking bullshit, basically. Um, <laughs> now, don't hold back, your chest. <laughs> oh, I I thought I was holding back. Okay, let me see if I can. How would I phrase that without the? No, it's it's um. You know, it's kind of funny, because I was like, okay, clearly he's done this after doing the movie. There's bits and pieces that I would like more. I mean, Hit Girl in in Kick-Ass the movie is kind of weirdly close to sublime. Like, it's kind of like, oh, okay, this is, this is the joke. This is kind of how the joke is supposed to be told. Um, but it's actually kind of, I don't know, it's a, it's a weird... It, it works more strangely for me in cinema because the thing that's actually really weird about in Kick-Ass when Hit-Girl shows up and it's basically an 11-year-old girl superhero and the point is is that she's a much better superhero than Kick-Ass is, it's kind of, um, it's kind of a, it's, it's basically a mean joke in the comic book, you know, because it's basically saying... Like, this is how bad a superhero Kick-Ass is. A little girl is actually a better superhero than him, you know? Yeah. Um, In the movie context, it ends up being strangely cathartic because it's not... Because it it's it's not nearly sort of presented quite at that same level of irony, I guess. In you know, in the context of pulling back, you know, the, the whatever it is, the the realm of distance. But I basically, it's something where it's like, at least for me, watching uh, a teenage girl like beat up a bunch of dudes is basically an is basically awesome you know uh, as a movie it's very hard for me to like look at it i feel there are specialist movies for people like you jeff indeed there are indeed there are me and george perez are on the same mailing list yes correct me if i'm wrong is the movie hit girl not older than the comic hit girl the the movie hit girl wait which movie yeah as the the Hit girl in the movie Kickass. Yes. Uh, is she not a teenager as opposed to the comic version who is like 10 or 11? You 
um, how do I put it? Like, there's kind of that weird... That's the other thing that's great, is the, you know, movies have that weird... Have your cake and eat it, too. You know, where it's like, you can have... Like, I think we're sort of generally used to the... Basically, Chloe Moretz is playing hit girl and yeah she's probably I think she was 14 at the time and so you can almost believe that she's 12 you know okay whereas I, I, I have think to say, yes as, as a sort of side topic the fact that Aubrey Plaza is playing a high school student in the to-do list just makes me laugh and also despair for the movie industry well yeah yeah exactly because it really has one of those moments of like yeah, like that was a, that's that weird huge mistake. There's time, but so we sort of work at it. I mean, in theory, they're arguably getting better. Like, I don't know if you remember seeing movies from the '80s, but like they're set in high schools, and there are guys who are like 29, and not even like oh yeah yeah Luke Perry 29. I mean, like really absurdly old 29. Like it's, so. It's, so what you're saying is Chloe Moretz theoretically reads as the same age as the comic character? No, actually it's one of the weird, it's that weird deal of like, she's 14, reading is 12 and in the comic book, I think she actually is supposed to be like 10 years old or something, but they scoot it up a little bit, in part because Kickass himself actually comes off as closer to 18 playing 16, whereas in the book he's much closer to supposing to be 15 on the verge of 16. I don't know, it's that weird thing also where John Romita Jr. draws them. I mean, the thing that's interesting about this Hit Girl book... John Romita Jr. kid age. Yeah. Indeterminate kid age. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, and, and in Hit Girl, he actually seems to... The, she seems younger than what I remember from the Kick-Ass miniseries, and I could be wrong about that but in this one she seems she looks like she's eight and it's just is, is it a flashback n- no it takes place after the first miniseries so the events of the first miniseries and or movie you know have all happened and so um you know in theory it's like a year later or six months later or something and then and then yeah she's you know she's supposedly older but she, but John Romita Jr., I think because he and Miller think that it's amusing, draw her even younger than I remember her being the first time. Maybe she was actually that young. But there's points here where she's running around in her secret identity, and it's like, you know, she really does. It's like she looks eight, she looks six, she looks she looks absurdly midgety. Um, uh, anyway, um, so yeah, to return to my main thesis... What a bunch of bullshit uh, is this Hit Girl series. At first I was like, okay, this is kind of okay. But I mean, like, even by Mark Miller's standards, it's lazy uh, and, and self-content, really self-content with itself, you know? It, it, is, it not, is that not sort of the Mark Miller math? That you start reading a Mark Miller comic and you're like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, midway through, you suddenly have this moment of, actually, no. Well, actually, it's it's not okay at all. You know, it's funny. That's that's actually a pretty good comparison. I, for me, it's very much this idea of Miller starts off. He does start off strong because it's like he starts off sort of I don't know on time and you know with all of the pieces, and then he sort of he's got that weird ADD slash overextending himself that he and Warren Ellis seem to just you know have the market cornered on like this book will not ship on time kind of thing, and. 
as it falls apart, he really gets a lot more desperate. Like, you get the idea that he does not think his books all the way through. He's just like, oh, I'll think of something awesome when it comes to it. And then when nothing happens, he's basically like, ah, okay, (laughs) you know, this is my old Mark Miller critique. Let me flip through the television and see what's playing and see what I can rip off, you know? And uh, in Hit Girl... It's not even that. I mean, it really, it starts off kind of self-satisfied in a way, in that it's like, it's his characters, it's told from Hit Girl's point of view, the voice is iffy at best, but then there's just this very weird concept of Hit Hit Girl starts training Kick-Ass to be a superhero, in part because, you know she was trained to be the perfect superhero so she's trying to train him now that she's lost her partner and so it's you know it's sort of you know hit girl as yoda in a way but but the what is it the weird thing is is that it's so much at every point she's like you got to work on your punchlines as you jump through windows spider-man always nailed the punchline like there's a lot of like weird comic book references in ways that don't really make sense you know for the world as it exists you know what i mean well were there not an awful lot of comic references in the original kick-ass that's what i remember i remember there being a being like an explicit i mean it was really clearly uh fun Right, targeted, if not fan service, right. because it really was like, hey, it's a hero who could be you because he literally could be you. Right. Well, so but right. So and this is the stage. So that's the thing that I find weirdly consistent. Inconsistent is in the first book, the idea is that yeah, Dave, the guy who goes on to become Kickass, is inspired to become a superhero by reading about superheroes, and then of course he really doesn't know shit about shit. And then the people who really drive that home is when he meets. Big Daddy and Hit Girl, who are this pair that are, you know, Big Daddy's insane enough to have turned himself into a superhero, but is having much, much better training Hit Girl to be. So, but there's that weird, like, they have real-world experience in in the real world of the comic, and so it's it's a little bit of that, like, it shows how Dave is not He's basically talking through his ass. It's kind of that weird, like, fanboy, like, oh, yeah, the hero who could be you, but by the way, snickering subtext, you're a dickhead, you know? And when the series, when it's fair enough, but when the sequel rolls around and Hit Girl is training Kick-Ass to be a better superhero, all of her examples go back to the comic book, and if nothing, to comic books, and weirdly enough, it's not like Kick-Ass is like, oh, I know that, you know, because that's that was who I was in the first book. He just generally kind of goes along with it, and you, you know, he usually does a shitty job of doing whatever he's doing, and then lets loose some swear words. But there's never, there's always this weird thing of like Hit Girl is now the. It becomes the yeah Hit Girl is totally, uh, the secret subtext has sort of been wiped away, and now Hit Girl is like Hit Girl is awesome. And she's awesome because she knows she's a girl, and she knows all these comic book references. And it's not an ironic thing anymore; it's a cool thing. Which, in theory, I would all so. In other words, Mark M- Miller's pandering, and I would, you know, which big surprise. But I was going to say, have you read a Mark Miller? Comic? Exactly. So Mark <laughs> Miller's pandering, big surprise. But he's doing it in a way that blatantly contradicts precisely what he did earlier. Which, again, as you would say, 
big surprise. So, uh, and then just to throw, then just to kind of dollop it all off, he's sort of like, yeah, okay, and now I don't really have a lot of um, threats here. So I'm just going to have so in in place of like oh hit girl's actually in a bad situation which happens like in in two two situations she gets into like a quote unquote bad spot that seems remarkably unconvincing like even even for Mark Miller it, like at one stage he's she's got this situation where she bluffs her way out of a room of like 25 gangsters in a way that like makes no sense really and it's like okay fair enough but like the second half of the book is nothing but showing her like it's 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 this weird torture porn reversal of her like hitting somebody with it is so hard in the face with a sledgehammer their skull collapses and it's just i'm like that's a weird form of um like that's what he's doing instead of a story you know what i mean like he's kind of like well i could have set this up so that there was genuine conflict you know, or like you know how you get those moments, and those moments traditionally fall in sort of the exploitation formula. It's like okay, we really want to have someone's like face peeled off. You know, there's two ways to do it. You know, exploitation method one: here's an unstoppable super beast, and here's how you show how terrible he is. He peels your face off. Or step two: here's the anti-hero hero who basically is taking revenge on having their entire family slash bloodline destroyed and here's where they get their revenge by pulling your face off right you know what i mean but in this one it's such a weird no stakes mark miller and john ramita jr kind of going like we got to give them something to talk about can you just how about you just show uh show her just literally hitting you know hitting this guy with a hammer so hard like it's grotesque and John Romita Jr. is like, sure, yeah, okay, no problem. So, um, so in other words, Graham, I highly recommend this book for you. I think this book... Thanks. <laughs> I'll, add it, I'll add it to my reading list right now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so great. I, I was not a fan of Kick-Ass 1, which I, I think also got from the library. <laughs> One of those like weird quasi-masochistic things where you're like, I'm not going to like it, but at the same time... I'm not paying any money for it whatsoever. All I'm investing in it is my, is my time, and I'm satisfying my curiosity as to whether I hate it. Right. But you know, right. cut to an hour later. Turns out I hate it. Right. <laughs> Big shock. Well, but I mean, there are those weird things. I actually have... I don't know. There's times where Miller will hit some sort of weird sweet spot for me. Um, and even if he doesn't, I'm perfectly willing to complain about it, I guess. I don't know. I'm not sure what that says about me. Why did this just go off? I don't think I sent something here. Once, uh, Graham, can you still hear me? <laughs> I can still hear you. Yes, that's what I loved. Like you, you finished talking, then immediately like, why did this? Uh, I'm, not re- I'm not really paying attention to what I'm saying, but this thing has just happened. Oh my god. <laughs> um. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, all of a sudden, I got this weird like. I'm a little worried that I got this verification. Okay, well, I won't panic about it. Let's was assume... it a verification for FaceTime by any chance? Uh, no, no, no. It was one of these Because weird... that, that's why I was late, saying hello, by the way. Oh, really? Oh, I see. I, I, I had to re-sign into FaceTime. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, no, 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 no. It's just one of those weird, like, I got to I use a, a two-step method to, to log into Gmail, so I get a Google verification code, and I just got one sent, even though I didn't put in a request for it, and I'm like, okay, assume I presume that's the hacker, you know, trying to hack into my email somewhere else that's doing that. Um, it's the NSHF. Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, that probably would be a good cock move to talk about, but let's let's not, because there's no... Yeah, exactly. If people get upset about us not liking Arrested Development, there is no <laughs> way that we would not be summoned off talking about that. Uh, that's on. right. That is totally true. Um, so, anyway, yeah, Kick-Ass sucked. You know what was surprising to me that also kind of was terrible was, uh, you know that, that trade paperback that came out, like, I don't know, maybe a year ago, two years ago... Maybe less the Superman's Tales of the Fortress of Solitude trade paperback. Oh yeah, I know it happened. I never read it. Is it terrible? Well, the thing that actually sucks is the first half is pretty good. It's got the first appearance of the Fortress of Solitude. It's got one of the classic Silver Age stories, you know, from the Superman era, where Superman's like, you know, cataloging all the stuff in his Fortress of Solitude, and he is having to um, figure out who the mysterious stranger is. Somebody has broken into the Fortress of Solitude and is like, Superman, I know your identity. Can you figure out who I am? Kind of, you know, that weird way that makes you realize why Mort Weisinger had no friends because he was essentially like, oh, a friend is someone that you actually treat horribly until they cry, and then you tell them that it was all a joke, you know? (laughs) It was a simpler time back then, Jeff. The nineteen fifties. I mean let let's just let's just accept it was a strange time for America and move on. I guess so. I guess so. Anyway, so it turns out that who's trying to make basically who's ma- trying to make Superman shit his pants in that issue. I don't want to give it away, but it's pretty much Oh come yours. on, it's totally like it's Batman or Perry White or someone. Exactly. It's Batman. So Batman made Superman shit his pants. And it but was that's like, the way it always went. It was yeah. always like, who has broken into this and uncovered all my secrets? And instead of them ever going, someone has uncovered his secrets, it's like, it's someone you told your secrets to who thought it would be hilarious right. to fuck with you for a couple of days. Well, uh, inevitably as the anti-Superman or, yeah. you know, Superman Dark or something. Yeah, something exactly. These days would be a DC comic title, but back then <laughs> was like you know a one issue gimmick. Yeah, it's just like a one issue gimmick. So yeah, Batman. Well, and that's the great thing is Batman's like this was a birthday present. You know, I'm like what? What kind of dickhead are you, Batman? Oh, right. But he wears I'm sure you have. You've read that story because it's this thing of like he gets in and he's like, I don't understand. Actually, one of the things that is fucking awesome about that story. I mean, there's so many things are, because it's kind of like, you know, as Superman walks you through and shows you one impossible thing after the next, kind of, it's generally pretty awesome. But there's this great thing where Superman is basically painting a Martian landscape, using his X-ray vision to look at Mars while he's painting it. So they have a picture of him where he's working on it in the first half of the story before things go horribly awry. Because, of course, what happens is Batman, while he's basically... Like, people are dying in Gotham City. You know, the Joker is, like, spraying acid, like, all over people and, like, a bukkake of death. And, like, Batman, like a jackass, is, like, hiding inside the key you know, waiting for Superman to leave. So he's got 24 hours to, like, run around in there and fuck with him. And... 
So Superman, so he finishes Superman's painting, and Superman's like, this painting has been finished, and it's totally bizarre. And I'm like, sort of like, what kind of dickhole maneuver is that? But the great thing is Superman is painting this Martian landscape, and you you look at the portrait that he is painting, that he's just like, "Mm -hmm -hmm," and it is clearly these strange green hands clawing their way out of the Martian landscape. Like, there's Martian zombies, and Superman's like, you know, like, it's it's one of those great throwaway <laughs> moments. Like, someone someone was like, yeah, paint a Martian landscape, and the guy was like, oh, I'm just going to paint two green hands that look sort of uh, supposed to look like Martian trees coming out of the ground, and it clearly looks like the last scene in Carrie, if it were set on Mars, with the Grinch instead of Sissy Spacek. Can we possibly find a way for you to just do Superman painting version, <laughs> like every episode? <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, that's that's the Superman I want. See, and that's it. Those stories are great, but the, okay. So then, the next story is a Superman annual by yes, Roy Thomas and Ross Andrew. And Roy Thomas is it's this situation where Superman gets thrown into the future by like half an hour, and he sees. A, he basically sees a chain of explosions destroy the Earth, and the explosions start from his fortress of solitude. So he has to figure out, he's got half an hour to figure out what in the fortress of solitude is going to destroy the Earth. And it's kind of, which is that, a good Silver Age story concept, you know? Does also, that also that, sound familiar? No, but that was a Spider-Man story, like, a couple of years ago. Dan Slott wrote that story. Oh, yeah, right. Exactly. I was like, huh, that pitch sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Like, while I was reading it. So, so Roy Thomas, being Roy Thomas, has Superman walk through the Fortress of Solitude and remember, basically, every story that's happened in the Fortress of Solitude, which he sums up in, like, a page or two. So the thing that's great is the first two or three stories in the collection are recapped by Roy Thomas and Ross Andrew in the middle of the story. I'm like, wow, okay, so like, it's kind of that weird, like here's the problem with Superman, is you get four stories in, and, and you're already basically having people retell the stories that happened in the first three stories. You know? You go through the entire issue, and it's Roy Thomas being way too overcomplete, but again, kind of sort of clever, and then you've got the who is the secret villain who's, you know, you keep cutting to him talking about how his goal is destroy the Earth, and he has a, a spaceship that'll allow him to slip into an alternate timeline of an alternate Earth where there is no Superman, and then he'll conquer everything. So he still, you know, can be Lord of Planet, you know, Lord of uh, the Planet Earth. Okay, then the story, and I'm so the first three stories, great. That story, okay, fine. And that weird boy Roy Thomas and Happy Days, the TV show, were perfectly made for each other kind of era. And then the next story is doesn't even have the Fortress of Solitude in it. Which what? I, yes, yeah, the entire like it's a it's um. I want to say it's a Superman annual or it's that action comics annual. Remember when like Superman gets exiled to space and George, Jerry Ordway and you know George Perez are doing all that stuff. Basically Superman gets caught by Mongol. He's dressed he's oh, got God, the yeah, beard yeah. and he dresses up. Yeah, he yeah, basically yeah. looks like Steve Reeves, Hercules, which I think is supposed to be the in joke like Superman goes from being George Reeves to Steve Reeves. 
And so the entire thing is, is like Superman. Oh, and let me tell you, if you ever want to see Superman's ass cheeks in a thong, that is the issue to pick up. Like, because he's dressed like, it's kind of great. I mean, it really, they do, he's dressed like a gladiator, but they keep doing these upskirts. Like, he's always like punching people and his skirts flying up. And then you see this like really uncomfortable, like, I don't know, leather gauntlet thing that's clearly supposed to cleave up his ass, and you're just like, ah! Like, there's a weird, like, Superman as Space Hercules slash member of the village people fighting space gladiators. Meanwhile, the other half of the story, which is drawn by Mike Mignola, is there's this priest on Mongol's war area who remembers coming to Krypton and starting a civil war that basically resulted in Krypton becoming sort of the more arid, John Byrne-esque Krypton, if you know what I mean, right? Yeah, no, no, yeah. So he's having his flashbacks. Superman, in between his battles, is like talking to this sentient blob and having his flashbacks. And then the flashbacks, like, co-mingle as they have, like, a a mind link-up halfway through Superman's big fight against... Sharkhead, or I, I don't know what he's... I don't know. It's, not, it's not very interesting, whoever the hell he's fighting. Um, so, and at the end of it, Superman's like, oh, the, like, the Eradicator, which was this thing that was created way back when, par- is actually a parallel to Jor-El's design of the ship or something that he throws Superman in. I don't know where it's going to go, but A... It ends with, to be continued. They don't even blot that out. It's like, to be continued in, you know, Adventures of Superman 380, where it's, because Superman, it ends with Superman challenging Mongol, right? Um, They don't follow that up. Like, it's just this isolated, like, and because it's a fucking annual, it's like 40 fucking pages long. The Fortress of Solitude does not come into it at all. Then... Wait, why is it, is it in there because it's the Eradicator? I guess. I mean, that's that weird thing of like, I'm like, man, imagine if you did not know Superman and you pick this shit up because the other great thing about it is you have like Jerry Siegel's first creation of the Fortress of Solitude and the way that he portrays Krypton very briefly is Exactly, then you're like, what the fuck happened to Krypton? Right, and this is it. Like, then they go through, then they have Superman 500, I think, maybe, which is when Mark Schultz is writing it and Doug Monke is drawing it. Oh, that's, no, I can tell you right now, that's probably Man of Steel issue 100 or issue 125. There you go. I think it is. (laughs) Not that I'm saying I'm Superman nerd, but there you go. There you go. It's Man of Steel number 100, because it is a double-sized thing. And it's the Fortress of Solitude is being has been recreated by his Superman's gay robot. I don't remember his Superman's name. gay robot? No. Yeah, remember Superman's gay robot? Like he was supposed to be in like the Kevin Smith movie and like you know, the little floating I, I, thing. I, I right now I'm actually Googling Superman's gay robot. <laughs> oh god. Safe search Superman's on. Please robot. safe search on. <laughs> okay, this is what comes up for Superman's gay robot. The Superman site. Superman lives. Robot chicken. Superman's powers. DC Comics targeted for hiring anti-gay author to write Superman story. Read by John Peters should be removed. <laughs> Angel fire. That's actually what it says. Superman vs. Hollywood book review. Plot for Superman Returns sequel. Spoilerish. Uh, my thoughts on Arson Scott Card writing Superman. Uh, Red Kryptonite's nine dumbest effects on Superman. Superman lives. 
lives. And oh my, J.J. Abrams' Superman script. Yes. That sounds probably Superman right. Superman I Wait, hang on. No, Who no, no. Is... Okay. So, okay. Remember, this is when Steel is there, right? You've got... Yeah, yeah, now. And you remember how, like, Steel's got his daughter, right? Kellex. Kellex is the name of the robot, right? The gay robot. Kellex, the gay robot. Yes. Exactly. Yes. That's it. So he's got that robot, and the robot is the one that helps them, like... what is? It's the bullshit of, like... They form a tesseract and then they turn the tesseract into the new fortress of solitude. Yeah, I, I remember the tesseract thing. And the tesseract's like a ball, essentially. Yeah, it's basically this ball. But then you go inside and it's like this enormous super. It's like a TARDIS, basically. And then there's this weird, like the entire time. And this is because Mark Schultz, bless his heart, is not an especially subtle uh, comic book writer. Superman. Literally, there's some sort of like Kryptonian flu thing that he's doing or something because he's coughing in every panel. He's like, well, that'll stop them. Cough. And then in the next panel, it's like Superman's got a hairball. I don't know what's going on. But they never resolve it either. So the thing that's amazing oh, That was is, the period where like plots started in one comic and then finished in an entirely separate comic like well, of six course. later. Yeah. Like I, that, was, that was the era where Lois Lane started like... Per, like it was... All but stated, Lois Lane was not having sex with Superman. And you had, like, a subplot for, like, three months of, why is Lois Lane being such a bitch? Why isn't she having sex with Superman? That's in this issue. It is in that issue because Superman's like, I'm going out. And she's like, whatever, you know. And it's just like... Yeah, exactly. And then, do you remember the reveal? Which was super creepy. (laughs) No, this this does not show that super reveal, I have to admit. Okay, so the reveal is that it's not Lewis, it's Parasite all along. Oh, oh, well, that's kind of hilarious. So, like... <laughs> all right, you're like, well, that's a funny reveal, but seriously, how long is the Parasite be pretending to be Lewis? Because, honestly, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> I have to say, if they ever give me the chance to write any Superman-related miniseries, Transparasite, uh, is going to be the where he pretends to be Lois Lane so that he can, I don't know, get close to Superman and mooch his powers off of him. But meanwhile, he doesn't want to put out, does not want to have sex, like, has to go into the bathroom and pee standing up, like, all sorts of, you like, weird stuff. You don't stuff. have to write that comic. They've done it. How much did they Seriously, do it? They, they that's didn't... the fucking plot. <laughs> well, I know it's the plot, but it's like, I'm sure they didn't show scenes of, like, why is Lois Peen standing up? We'll get to this issue. You know what I mean? It's like, like that's the mysterious subplot, it, and then cut away to it, the Daily Planet. Yeah, it was Jeff Loeb, so yeah, they did. <laughs> they probably did, actually. The, you know, you had the really subtle thing where, like, Jimmy would be like, why is Lois going into the men's? Right, exactly. Cut to... That'd be so bad. I mean, I have to give I have to give them credit for like thousands of years of like Superman continuity. They've never quite gotten into the Lois Lane is a dirty whore subplot where it's like, yeah, she's going in and blowing guys. No, it's the parasite. Oh, thank God. You know, like <laughs> yeah, wow. but that was part of Mark Miller's big Superman revamp. It probably was actually. I love the idea that that guy got blacklisted. You know, like for life, just for whatever he said one time at like a bar. He's like. Oh yeah, my ultimate Superman story, and they're basically like never, not while DC yeah, Comics stands, you'll, you'll, not you'll while never you live. Get to it. Sorry, yeah. I do like that it was always like it's when Paul Evans leaves, then Mark Miller can go back, and then Paul Evans leaves, and everyone's like, actually no. 
<laughs> exactly. Sorry. We saw this list. Um, yeah. yeah. And it actually turns out that when signing our contracts with DC Comics, we all signed our souls away <laughs> so that if we actually hired you, we'd go to hell. <laughs> so, sorry. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> Why don't you go off and do Kick-Ass 3? That's what the kids want to see anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well, I have to admit, I saw the trailer for Kick-Ass 3, and that, or Kick-Ass 2, sorry, and that's when I was like, I'll probably pick up this It-Girl thing, because God help me, I might see Kick-Ass 3, maybe, you know? Oh, Jeff. <laughs> that sort of firm commitment. What can I say? I'm like... <laughs> that, that's, I am a man with principle, I might see it, maybe, and I'm sticking to that. <laughs> it's... 100% possible that I might possibly maybe do something. <laughs> that should be my logo. That's my slogan. That's like, that should be on my tombstone. I should get that tattooed on my chest. I mean, that's my business cards. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, you know what I mean? Like, there's, like, Edie and I are kind of behind on our various summer movie things that we want to see anyway. And, you know, the best chance that that Kick-Ass 2 has of actually being seen by me is is that it's coming out in like August or something where there's not going to be anything else and I might I might go and see it but considering I'm barely managing to keep up with the movies that we ostensibly want to see um, which reminds me like I could <laughs> if, I, if I felt like picking more fights I could talk about Before Midnight the third movie in the Rink, Richard Linklater Ethan Hawke, Julie Delpy trilogy. That was that was an amazing thing to see. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> but instead, let's talk about dude. We got to talk about Superman Unchained because after. Oh yeah, I, I was I was gonna say I actually picked up Superman Unchained and Superman and Action Comics this week. <gasps> Jesus God, that's amazing. I got shorted apparently on Action Comics. Hey, Action Jeff, Comics. Why we tell you? You're not missing anything. <laughs> I, I just want to put that out there. <laughs> it was great. We were leaving, like, Brian was, like, ringing me up, and he's like, huh, it says here that you're, you've got an, a special order in for Action Comics 21, and I'm like, I do? Why? And he's like, I don't know, let me look into this. He's like, oh, I guess, I guess when we got our shipment last week, we didn't get enough, so we didn't give you your copy. He's like, do you want that? I'm like, is it still Tony Daniel? And he's like, yes. I'm like, no, no, I don't. He's like, okay. It's it's, it's still Tony Daniel, and it's uh, it's uh, it's it's definitely a comic featuring a character called Superman. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can tell you that much. It's uh, it's really it's a shame because every time I see Tony Daniel's artwork these days, I'm like, he's come on so far. Like he <laughs> really has. Um, and especially whoever is coloring this issue, uh, I really like their colors, which is unusual. Someone called Tomu Mori. Is covering it, is coloring it, and yeah, it's 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 a, a reasonably nice looking comic. It'd be nice if Tony Daniel remembered that people had things like necks, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, he's he's got issues. Um, but the writing is holy moly, it's <laughs> it's um it's terrible, Jeff. Really? Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh it's not good at all. Like, I mean, it's it's it makes. It makes no sense. I can quite believe that Andy Diggle had sketched out like the sketchiest fucking plot for this. Right. And Tony Daniel was like, I can turn this into a comic. Right. Leave it with me. I can definitely do this. 
And then, like, he just started handing them pages, and eventually people were like, oh, fuck, just let him go with it. It's his last issue, just just whatever. I mean, Well, I think sure. I told you, Action Comics 20 had that awesome sequence where, like, people like people in Metropolis have been possessed and turned into weird space zombies or whatever. Superman opens up a fissure of the Earth, they all fall in, and then he seals it up again. And I'm like... Oh, no, he goes back to get them this time. Oh, thank God. Because he said something like, I'll go back to get them later. I'm like, so you can give their bodies to their families? Like, what are you talking about? about superman no but yeah yeah but the the virus is is the of course the central plot oh, except right. it's not because <laughs> midway through lex luther shows up and he's like i made the virus you can't cure it and then like they fight and then it cuts to basically superman being like so now that we've cured the virus <laughs> <laughs> it's and it yeah it's it's just it's ridiculous and like the monster is made out of people except like suddenly the monster can is not made out of people like the people just go back to being normal but they're all zombies and then they're not zombies and this the virus is incredibly infectious but Lois Lane goes in there and she's completely fine and no one comments on it I mean it's it's, it's just it's nonsensical it really is I, and you know you've got the because the first part of the story you had like he's fighting the monster and then he's like it's Jimmy Olsen <laughs> right and then the next issue they're like that was a hallucination and he right. goes okay then so happens again in this issue where he's like by the monster and he's like it's Lois Lane and then like then he's like ah no it's not hallucination <laughs> it's just it's, it's beyond sloppy it's kind of horrendous uh, oh, but man. I got it because I read the other two issues and I was like you know what I'm just gonna see what it's, it, it finishes like mm-hmm. like how how bad can it be and the answer is very the answer turns out to be it can be very bad um, but I also got Superman issue twenty which is Scott Lobdell and Aaron Cooter. Mm-hmm. And the reason I got it was for the Aaron Cooter art. Mm-hmm. And also because the cover is great. The cover is Superman just clocking Orion Ooh. with a massive smash <laughs> behind him. Uh, the story itself is called Wham! Exclamation point. And if you like your special effects, your sound effects, they're all over this comic, which is kind of spectacular. <laughs> Literally, here are some of the sound effects that you get. You get scratch, ending with a K. Right. Um, Krawow, K R A A O W. Splot, thump. Those three are all in the page red. Then you get wham, 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 wham. That's one panel. Cracka, cracka, bam. Blah, blam. Wham, bam, whack, womp, crack. One panel. Spatang. Kerbunch. Wait, Kerbunch? Uh, Kerbunch. Oh, Kerbunch. Yes, K-R-B-U-N-C-H. Sproosh. S-P-R-O-S-H. Brosh. Crunch. C-C-H-R-U-N-C-H. Is that the end of the sound effects? It sadly is. Yeah, but it's it's fucking great. The exact the entire fight of the comic is Orion shows up to beat the shit out of Superman. The end. <laughs> was wasn't it because Wonder Woman was involved or no? Uh, no, it's because somehow uh, Orion has realized that Hector Hammond is has placed his consciousness in Superman's brain. Mm. And is that and so true? He's like, or you're mistaken. In yeah, that? no, it, no, no. He is he is in one hundred percent true. Uh, correct. I see. Because Lois Lane, uh, Wonder Woman rather, shows up basically and is like, why the fuck are you two fighting? She's great. She's kind of really embarrassed to know Orion. <laughs> She's kind of like, yeah, this is a guy. I kind of know him. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I don't ask. It's really kind of embarrassing for me. And then she does the, like, the lasso of truth, and Hector Hammond's like, yeah, it's fine. I'm inside your brain. Fuck off. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's hilarious. It's kind of awesome on a, a weird level of, this is so ridiculously trashy and throwaway, but I kind of love it. And well, it's, it's basically because Aaron Cooter makes it look spectacular. Well, see, that's it. The art looks great. But isn't it amazing how, like, just you describing it, it's like, it's pretty much like another Silver Age story idea. Just sort of yeah, done which, with Yeah, which less. is another reason why why it's kind of great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is, you know, these two here. It's a Marvel comic. These two heroes fight because of a misunderstanding, and then they beat the bad guy. Right. The end. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, which again, if the art looks great, so, huh. Well, that's... Yeah, who who, who knew? But it's... yeah, so let's talk about Superman on chains. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm like, hmm, now that we've missed... Talking about the art looking great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Only joking, everyone. <laughs> it's him leading Superman. It's hideously miscast. You know, the thing that's interesting is Hip said the same thing about that. And what I think, and I could be wrong, is I definitely get the feeling... Well, one of the things that I really struck me, apart from Superman Unchained, apart from the fact that it's fucking bullshit... Uh, is the fact that it's clearly designed to be the book to hand someone when they walk out of Man of Steel. You know? Oh yeah, it's it's quite clearly the, hey, so you like the movie? Mm-hmm. Here's a comic. Right. <laughs> Here's a comic featuring some of the same characters. Well, but I, I get the sense that there's a way in which Jim Lee and Snyder are trying to do, uh, well, we're sticking to Superman as he exists in the new 52 sort of thing, but we're also positioning him to be more like... Uh, traditional Superman. I was going to say like more like the whatever the Man of Steel Superman's going to be like in the Man of Steel movie. You know. It, really? I, I, got, I got this being much more of a traditional Superman comic in large part because it kind of well it definitely acts as an introduction. Like the scene with Jimmy Olsen which is basically like are you wondering why Clark isn't to the Daily Planet? Here Jimmy Olsen is exposition bot. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, which I have to say I weirdly appreciated nonetheless because it was at least making a nod to the fact that Superman has a great supporting cast. Yeah, no, great. Well, see, but that's it. But I feel like that nod is very specifically because Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane are going to be in the movie and it's like... Except Jimmy's not in the movie. Oh, oh, really? They didn't put him in the movie? Well, there you go. Jenny is in the movie. Jenny Olsen. Oh, no, really? Oh. Yeah, really. Okay, we'll see. Then it shows you. I do not know what I am talking about. Apparently, they were like, you know what would be awesome? A using all of Superman's taglines um, to actually have it be a human atom bomb destroying thousands of people. Then a scene where, as Hibbs points out, it's Superman versus wires. And then to make sure that you haven't had nearly enough action to watch him actually, like, punch wires, he you get the, this uh, a sequence that feels ripped from Iron Man 3 where he gets to save all the astronauts in a way that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And then you've got exciting super submarine adventures. Like, you know, it's it all feels very, like, spectacle, 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 but remember, it's got to be boring. Like, okay, we, we don't worry, we can figure that out, you know? What, what it really reminds me of more than anything was Superman Returns. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I've not seen Man of Steel yet, so you know, right. maybe maybe, not. maybe it's really reminiscent of Man of Steel, but it yeah. really reminds me of Superman Returns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, look at this guy; he's the greatest hero in the world. We're not really like we're going to give lip service to why he is, mm-hmm. and we're going to give you some action scenes that are actually not that great. <laughs> but you know, he is he's he's kind of the greatest hero in the world, okay? And everyone loves him. Mm-hmm. I don't know; it, it's just my big problem really was Jim Lee's art because Jim Lee Jim Lee just does not. There's something about it. It does not read as Superman to me at all. Yeah. It's really weird. And like, like his Lois is horrible. His Jimmy is horrible. Yeah. It, it's just. Well, and I it's, don't know. His rendering style is really bad for the book as well. I thought, like you know, because the book is so word heavy. Like you flip through it, any like two set of two pages. There's like way too many panels on the page, like too many word balloons, or or like that that page that is like, first it's Superman confronting Lex Luthor, and then it cuts to Clark and Jimmy talking, and it's just like it hurts your eyes to look at that that much. It's been a while, you know. It's like 1970s Marvel comic in terms of like too many words on the page, but then like Jim Lee like. Like, just puts too many fucking lines on the page, you know what I mean? Like, it's all sketchy, and it looks ugly. It's not even that it's too too many lines on the page for me. It's that everything looks unfinished. Mm -hmm. Everything looks really sketchy and really um, scratchy and and impermanent in a way that I don't think works for Superman. I think Superman has to have much bolder lines and much cleaner lines. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, uh, that's again so funny. I really wish, in a way, that we could have swapped in Hibs for this part of the conversation because you two would be in perfect agreement in that line. But like, I am, ugh, blech. Yeah, it, it, it. You know, <laughs> and the thing that's funny is I remember thinking that for tomorrow, which generally was horrible, just hideous. There were a couple of parts where I kind of liked it, or at least I kept buying it because Jim Lee's at the time was his work did not seem quite so scratchy you know what i mean like there's well, kind I, of that I think weird he's definitely, i think he's definitely gotten scratchier in mm-hmm. years and actually i'm not even sure he's gotten scratchier as much as scott williams has gotten scratchier one of the two right has definitely changed the way in which they approach rendering mm-hmm. um and it and is heading much more towards the very thin line yeah which which does not really reproduce well i mean if you look at the first page of the clark and Jimmy scene. Mm-hmm. Jimmy just looks weird all the way through that. Yeah, he really does, doesn't he? It's fascinating. Um, and and part of it is just uh, the, the line. Well, the coloring also really does not help. The coloring yeah. here is horrible. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. is horribly over rendered. Yeah, it, it, and yeah, it's it's just. Uh, can we call this a misfire of a book entirely, Jeff? I'm certainly willing to. Yes. Yes. Oh wait, there, there's two more things I want to complain about. Uh, hopefully one of them's the poster, but continue. Yes, yes, it is. Because yeah. that's that's great. Thanks mm-hmm. for that poster. That really added a lot to my enjoyment of the book. Oh no, wait, I meant that really added a dollar <laughs> to the price of the book. <laughs> totally, totally. Oh lord. Oh god. Yeah. Oh, and I also love that when they initially solicited it, they were like, "It's integral to the reading experience, but you can also tear it out." And what they actually mean is, in order to read the page, you have to tear it out. And by the way, it adds nothing. Uh, no, no. And by the way, if you want the full effect, you really have to buy two. 
because you know it's a oh, yeah, cause it's double sided. Yeah, it's a, it's a double sided poster. So if you want to see the wires that Superman's punching in full context, you actually have to buy the other. You know, you buy another copy. Well, that's not actually true because you can turn over the page, Jeff. It's only if you want to frame both sides. And really, who would want to frame the side that's not Superman punching anything? But there's nothing on that page. Well, but that's what I I'm saying. There should be something on this page. A Jimmy poster of a box. See, seriously, you can now. <laughs> well, this is what I'm saying. There's an entire mega spread that is this huge space station exploding. Oh, wait. No. Oh, you know what? I take it back. That's Superman punching through. It's actually two posters. I thought he was punching something on one side. Okay. Oh, no. Yeah, okay. It's, one, it's two panels. Yeah, two panels. One Panel one is him flying through the spaceship, and it looks really unconvincing. And then page two is Superman doing what he does best, which is electrical wiring. And then, um, yeah, dude, that really did suck, actually. I was, uh, I mean, and, and it, it was I, kind of astonishing, wasn't it? Also, good job, DC, for all the incredible completists out there who want everything in mint, mint condition, because that glue is going to kill that page. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not, it's, it's like, yeah, you better t- take it out if your page wants to live, you know? So, I don't know. I just, I, uh, again, it's it that was, thing it was, of it like. Was a horrible, horrible, horrible. Yeah, it's it's a not a good comic. Yeah, it's it really is not. Um, and it, it was Although, a shame. Yes. The other thing that I want to complain about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dustin uh, uh, Dustin Gwynn backup, which is all of two pages, and seems to be entirely pointless. Yeah, what is that? Is that I for, I even forget the point of it. Isn't it that weird? Like Lois Lane, get me Lois Lane. Like that's no, it's to be... it's it's no, it's it's it's. Uh, Perry White be like, here's literally like half a page of me remembering something, and a, a page and a half of framing sequence. The yeah. end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, uh, and at one point he he's like, some guy with the eyes gouged out is like, get me Lois Lane, get me Lois Lane. Like remember, there's that thing that and he was I'm apparently. Gonna you I I totally don't. You mean in the in the. In the flashback, sure. in the flashback. Oh yeah, so yes, yeah, sure is, yeah. sure is, yeah. Which which makes it even more confusing. It's like the meanwhile sequence to like. So half of it is like you know Perry White saying like bullshit, and then meanwhile what's happening is more bullshit. You know what I mean? And which I'm assuming that it's one of those dudes who maybe I don't I don't know. It was I mean it was better than for tomorrow, but that says nothing. <laughs> You know, that really means nothing. I mean, here's the thing. I'm not even sure it was better than the first part of For Tomorrow. For Tomorrow as a whole is a dog of a story. Oh, it's... But I can't remember the first chapter had more to it than this did. Nah, I don't know about that. It's true, honestly. Because it really was like, ooh, are they doing something different? As I recall, it's basically like Superman like talks to a priest is part one of For Tomorrow. I don't know if he does more than that. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm not sure. Plus, there's a... Well, because it's that whole thing of, like... The reason why it seems like it's more is is that it seems so radically different. Like, you're basically in this situation where you can't tell what the fuck Brian Azzarello is getting at. Like, is this a Superman comic where the rapture has happened? Like, who would approve that kind of thing? And so it's this weird, like, wow, is Brian Azzarello, like... Does he really... Is he really taking the piss? Or is he really trying to say something you know and ultimately it was just really taking the piss like oh my god they're like ca- like cashing the check and running but it was 
kind of, it was a hint of things to come for Brian Azarell's career, wasn't it? Well, I don't know. I mean, I suppose. I mean, I was already at that stage of like really thinking that Brian Azarello was really only as good as the the artist that he gets matched up with, which I'm not really sure if that. You know, I mean, I don't know. I really liked his Doctor Thirteen. You know, that was kind of great. I mean, admittedly, Cliff Chang's awesome in it, but is like. Brian Azzarello really had something to say there and a lot of the other times I've like my library has the first three sort of super hard covers of 100 bullets in now so I don't know how many issues that covers probably quite a lot it looks like it's probably a, like the first three years right are the hardcovers not like a year each is that another way to go do them uh, I don't know I haven't picked any up but that makes sense to me so it's probably the first third of 100 bullets and I had read I want to say the first 15 issues before I jumped off or something like that maybe more maybe closer to 20 and part of me is like huh I wonder if I should pick this up and torture myself with it you know because oh, you it should is definitely a... pick it up because I've, I've just looked mm-hmm. books 1 to 3 contain issues 1 to 58 see there you go alright so I could read more than half Um, I don't know why I would necessarily do that to myself apart from like I mean apart from Eduardo Rizzo's art is fucking phenomenal I guess but but ugh. Uh, anyway, let's return to the main point, which is Superman Unchained really was like that was a not a good comic. B, I think I would be shocked to see how many people are going to come back for issue two. For, for issue two. Oh, I think it's going to be a lot because I think Scott Snyder has a ridiculous amount of goodwill out there. Yeah, more more than Jim Lee, and I think Jim Lee has a lot of goodwill as well. I think a lot of people are going to come back first too. I think if it doesn't improve by like issue three, then we're, then we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. And by we, I mean they, because I'm not going to pick up issue two. Yeah, I'm I'm not on board. I was I was actually it was really funny that I was like oh, I'm going to do this, and then I looked at the price. I'm like fucking four ninety nine. Ah, the fuck. And then I'm like oh, no, no no I'll do it just so I can swear some more. And then it was like. Jesus, what the ah? Exactly, yeah, yeah. They really got me. <laughs> it really was. It was. It was that amazing. Like, surely they're not gonna like rob me that blind. Wrong. So yeah, yeah. That that kind of hurt. Which is which is actually worth keeping in mind for me because I bit the bullet and subscribed to Judge Dread magazine digitally. Um, oh, did you? Yeah, I did. I didn't realize that this was a thing. Like, apparently, uh, 2000 AD's app just rolled out an update, and by just, it could have been, like, months ago. But they had a a little announcement that was like, you can now subscribe to Magazine. And I'm like, shit, should I? Like, I kind of was interested, because, frankly, I'm so enjoying my 2000 AD weekly that I'm sort of like, I kind of do want a little bit more. The magazine, I thought about picking up a sample issue, but in the shop, it's like, it's super pricey, it's sealed, so you can't flip through it, um, and uh, I ultimately, I bit the bullet. So, I mean, it's not cheap. I mean, it's it's a monthly magazine, so, like, a, subscribing through iTunes runs, like, 22 bucks for three months, but they throw in, of course, you get, like, one or two previous back issues, and they include whatever the pack-in graphic novel is. So I just opened the first magazine. I barely started reading it. I'm like, okay, well, it is 121 pages. You know, like, I am sort of like... And you said you got the pack-in graphic novel as well? Yeah, they throw the pack-in graphic novel in there. Um, Oh, that's nice. What do you get for... What is the graphic novel this month? 
Son of a bitch. Well, see, this is it. I'm not even really sure if I've got the right months because I started with the earliest issue I could get, which was an old previous issue. Uh, hold on a second. Why, uh, please excuse me, everybody. I'm putting you on mute, Graham. Have fun talking to everyone. One second. The best part is, and hopefully you can't hear it, listeners, as soon as Jeff put himself on mute, my dog started barking. It was as if Jeff had just transformed himself into a dog to go and find that uh, magazine. Also, I kind of regret asking him because I'm not that interested in what the, the graphic novel is. I was just curious. But now he's going to get it and it's going to be a thing. So, you know, everyone, when he comes back and says what it is, let's be really excited. Although, for all I know, he's already back and he's still on mute and laughing. It, it's very difficult. Hang on, I can probably check because we're on FaceTime. Oh, technology. No, I can't because he's gone. Or is he? Okay, I'm back. He's back! What were you saying? Uh, okay, so the first magazine that I have access to was Magazine 336, which I think is from uh, two months ago. It says, it says June 2013 on the cover, which is not correct, I think. And it is in this issue Judge Dread Power Struggle Streets of Dan Francisco Part 2 American Reaper 2 Part 5 Insurrection Part 3 and then uh, and then I don't know there's like an article with like Mark Hamill that doesn't make any sense um, there, there's also a feature in 52 oh right they do a thing and then okay, what is this tell me what this is. Here's some black and white thing that is <laughs> in no way is it it's telling me what it is, but and then there's more stuff. Hmm. Well, okay, so they have some flaws to, to break out of this, but uh, let's just say that I was told that I was given access to all that stuff and there's 132 pages, so surely... There's got to yeah, be something. The magazine like, is not 132 pages. Yeah. yeah, so I would have to say there's something here, but I don't, I don't really know. You think they would say it right here, but it says on the front 128 pages of thermonuclear mayhem. They say that on the cover. What does it say on this one here? Okay, so here's Judge Dread magazine. Also has 130 pages. Um, insurrection. Two, Jesus, uh, no <laughs> idea. I have no idea. No idea. No hey, idea. they really don't tell say, you. you. What issue do you say it was? Three three six. Uh, yeah, three three six, and this is magazine three 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 five. I guess three three five is my earliest magazine. Let's see if it has. No, it totally does not say mm-hmm. what the the solicitors don't say either. Yeah. Huh. So. Basically, you're not going to find out, anyone. <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting. I, I am like, okay, well, that doesn't help me, but they really said it was supposed to be when you subscribe to this damn thing. Ugh, anyway. So, there's a whole 20 minutes I can edit out of our podcast. Uh <laughs> I, while you're while you're doing that, by the way, I was looking up the reviews. Uh, uh, Robot Six has a collection of reviews mm. that um, of Su- uh, Superman Unchained. Ooh la la! And let's just say that you and I are possibly in the minority and not liking it. Oh no! Are you shitting me? 
Uh, Jim Johnson from Comic Book Resources says, with the same kind of gosh wow cinematic energy that Lee and writer Jeff Loeb mustered for Hush and Batman a decade ago, Lee Snyder and inker Scott Williams, who was always around for Hush, also around for Hush, once again makes Superman the larger than life iconic figure that he was always intended to be. Nowhere is that more true in this issue than in an awe-inspiring four-page pull of <laughs> pull out spread that is likely my this is my favorite thing. The largest rendering of the Man of Steel ever seen within the pages of a comic book. <laughs> That's right, everyone. It's big, therefore it's good. Yes. Uh, that it gets four out of five from comic book resources. It gets five out of five from comic book therapy. Newsarama gives it four out of ten. George, I think you and I are on the same page. Exactly. Um, Crave Online gives it nine out of ten. Nine. Nine. Uh, part of, part of my favorite thing. Lee also knows how to draw faces. <laughs> That's a great line. That is uh, the Don best. Mc Don McPherson gives it 3 out of 10. Okay. Uh, and Multiversity Comics gives it 8 out of 10. So overall, the kids like it, Jeff. I was about to say, the kids like it, and if you're old farts like us, apparently you are less so. Much less yes. so. Yeah. Markedly less so. Huh. Well, I gotta say. Hmm. Well, there you go. Can I, I'm now going to have her offer a side, not even a side note to that. Yes. A counterpoint, shall we say. Uh, did you read the new Batman? Yes, I did. Batman Year Zero or whatever. Zero Year. Thank you. Yeah, see, I can't even do it zero right. Zero Year. Uh, yeah, Batman Issue 21, the first part of the uh, lengthy flashback storyline that they're doing. Yeah, that was um, that was kind of interesting, wasn't it? Like, And by which I mean, like, not nearly as boring as Superman Unchained, but I think that's just because Greg Capullo does some cool shit, you know? Like, those weirdo... Like, it starts off, it's really... It's a, it's a fun, weird opening, by having Gotham City seem to be this weird, ruined, like, almost like... Yeah, like, like post-nuclear wasteland. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I think, he, I think, I assume they're going for sort of that weird, um, like, when parts of Detroit have fallen apart, you know, you have people who actually hunt in Detroit wild game because there's so much so much of the city has like um, depopulated that it's literally gone back to seed and there are now wild animals and stuff <laughs> so I assume that's where they're going for but it's that weird like it's a weird pre-post-apocalypse thing and whoever those weird gangsters are with those amazing hoodie face things, who knows if they're going to actually use that again, but that's... That but was it's like, a great visual. It's a great visual. Yeah, so, honestly, the first five pages are so sort of visually terrific, and then they follow it up with some sort of cinematic action sequence. Um, it, it seems really audacious, which really helps the fact that the second half of it is really, really, really dull. I think. Oh no, I really liked. I really liked the whole thing. Oh, did you? Okay. And this is the this is the first Snyder Capullo uh, issue that I've been completely on board with. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Uh, in large part because the it's a it's a flashback with a flashback inside a flashback. Yes. And and they just he's he's continually playing with time without making it obvious for one of a better way of putting it. Right. That I really like. I really, really appreciated the fact that he's giving the reader enough credit. Mm. And by he, I really mean all of them because yes. they, you know, they could have colored they could have color coded the, the different times on something and they've not. Yeah. No, which no, I, no. I really, really appreciated. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that it's with the exception of the what, two panels of Batman in in the opening? Yes. There's no other Batman in this. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's a, it's a really nice ballsy opener mm-hmm. uh, that treats it, treats the reader with far more uh, respect, mm-hmm. definitely than Superman Unchained. Oh, um, it's definitely the, much better than, than Superman Unchained. Yeah, but then most of Snyder's Batman work for me. Mm-hmm. I'm don't don't get me wrong. I'm almost convinced that it will disappoint me before it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, for a part one, I thought it was spectacular. And the other thing I liked was it's so it owes nothing to Frank Miller's year one, mm-hmm. Interesting. which really surprised me. Hmm. That's funny. It uh, seems much lighter and much more pop than Frank Miller's year one, uh-huh. which I found myself really appreciating. Hmm. That's really. I think funny. I was worried there was going to be a retread. Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely not that. But I feel like I also feel like there are ways in which it's sort of. Well, it's funny because I actually feel like it definitely plays with bits and pieces of the Frank Miller stuff and makes it a point to turn them on their head. So, um, which on the one hand I think is kind of ballsy, but I also am a little dubious about. Um, I think it was fine. It was, I was a little weirded out that like Bruce's dad is like a awesome inventor car mechanic in the new 52 or something, but I'm like... If I'm understanding that was that is that the scene that is his dad right where go being like hey I fixed this car so that it runs backwards on invisible time you know or whatever yeah th- that's that's totally what he says Jeff <laughs> I'm talking about the scene man I'm not talking about the specific dialogue <laughs> so no but what I took from that scene was he's tinkering in the car but he's a doctor he's He's a doctor. He, okay, so he's a doctor, and then he makes he makes that comment at the very end about it being the hospital, and he has to make a call. And it's Lucius Fox that invents the EMT. So That's in fact, right. even okay. say, the dialogue even says doctors like me. Oh, you're right. Or doctors like me. You're absolutely right. Okay. Problem rescinded. I, think I, by I the was end throwing there, more was because like... for some reason uh, he really reminded me in that last panel of Bing Crosby. <laughs> And now I'm kind of stuck in the idea of Bing Crosby being Batman's dad. Yeah, they they do have some weird, like, goofy face stuff that they're doing with that. Um, yeah, no, it's fine. I, I sort of, I think it is going to be the best, um, it's going to be the best one-trick pony that Scott Snyder is going to have of his various ponies, I guess. But, um, yeah, I think it's good. Also, I did like the Robin shout-out in the hat. Oh, with the hat. Yeah, the hat's kind of interesting, the way they're doing it. I don't know where they're going to necessarily, why they're going with that, but it was it was fun. No, it really is, it is very audacious in the sense of like, yeah, we're doing something that you haven't seen before with Batman, we promise. And for the most part, it did seem like that. Of course, I'm a little bit like the Riddler. Who cares about the Riddler? But Hey, I, I love the Riddler! Oh, you're I the guy. Care about the oh, I am the guy. Okay. I don't think I'm the only guy. Are there, are there not lots of Riddler fans? Riddler, it, it might be my favorite Batman villain. Really interesting. Yeah, I, I really I, like the Riddler. I I love I love the Riddler in that in his origin episode for Batman the animated series, and I guess I kind of semi appreciated his little meta textual deconstruction in the Neil Gaiman short story with. Was it Bernie Marriott who drew that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then after that, it gets really foggy. I don't. Wait, you're telling me you don't even like Frank Gorshin? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Frank Gorshin's a little oh, weird. Oh, Jeff, this podcast is over. <laughs> well, hold over. on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. My thing about Frank Gorshin is, is that 
Frank Frank Gorshin's Riddler is one of my five favorite Jokers. If that makes you feel better, you know what I mean. <laughs> no, no, Jeff. What what you're actually saying to me is you you might be saying words, but what I'm hearing is my thing about the Riddler is that I'm wrong. <laughs> well, you are able to really perceive subtext very well, Graham. There is a way in which I'm saying that. So, okay, well, I, okay. So my thing is is that the Riddler is is. I think he's pretty much great um, in that sort of classic, like, early Batman hero sort of phase. He's just never been able to work for the modern era for me. Ever. And I just, I don't see, like, seeing him here, like, maybe part of me is going to be... But even seeing him here where he's got all, like, the little bits and pieces of, like, they're redoing the... the I, like they did you see isn't there like a superman shout out in here uh in this thing where they talk where he's the metropolis blooms or whatever yeah yeah i figured that was a superman reference yeah so i don't I know i think i figure all of it is going to translate into something down the line yes you know you got anger you've got remember the rip fold equatorial shipping routes cross current in october <laughs> question mark <laughs> Neurosis in Powers Family, Jessica Plus Plus. Yes. Price exactly. of Rivets. Price of Ribbits is my favorite. Yeah, actually, uh, there were there were some of the little minutia ones I thought were great. When it started to seem more like that horrible period where it's like Jeff Johns versus the entire Marvel staff in terms of like whiteboard shout outs, you know, just kind of was like I'm still kind of recovering from that and not in a good way. So we'll see. Yeah, maybe it'll be great, Graham. I just, I, I just, I, the Riddler, the way he's been treated in the modern era, has not done much for me. So. Oh, I, I'll agree with that. I think the whole idea that the Riddler was the guy who figured out Batman's identity and was therefore crazy and you know had to be written out, or even Riddler as detective. Yes, even the Riddler detective thing. Yeah, exactly. Which was, I think, Paul Dini's concept, and Paul Dini was the guy who wrote. Like, did you ever see the Batman animated series Riddler Origin? Sure. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if I saw the Riddler origin, but I definitely saw a fair chunk of the Batman animated series. I I am I'm this weird. I am I'm the age I am, and yet I do not have a an absolutely uh, ridiculous adoration or devotion to the the DC animated stuff. Well, that's interesting. My my, I that... feel that almost everyone sort of my generation does. Yes, I feel sort of left out from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I had animated series Batman the animated series I thought had brilliant stuff in it, but then by the time they moved on to Superman and everything else, I was I wasn't watching. And I I've had people my age be like, "Dude, like if you like if you want to see the real DC, yeah, a little bit. If you want to see the real DC, you got to watch Superman and the animated series because they do amazing stuff with Jack Kirby's characters, and then just follow that right into the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited stuff. So, and then of course, as you know, the Brave and the Bold was entirely different, but also very good. I've heard, but yeah, I, I must say, I actually think I prefer the Brave and the Bold. Oh, interesting. Heretical as it is. Wow. Uh, I just like Goofy. When it comes down to it, I think I'll always go for Goofy over even really well done Dark. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah, I think well done Goofy really works for me. You know, I I find anyone who does not slightly fall in love with Brave and the Bold purely because of Aquaman suspicious. <laughs> Dubious in the extreme. 
Exactly. I'm. I. I don't. You know. I don't know if I can look them in the eye. Mm. You know. I. Okay. So here's the thing. I mean, I know we have other things to talk about, but like, you're not really a Batman fan. So if I were to be like, so give me your top five Batman villains, you really couldn't. It'd be just be oh, like God. Riddler top and then five like stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's Riddler and Riddler and Riddler. <laughs> and then the Riddler. Top five Batman villains. Yeah. Shit. I don't know. Um, I really don't know. I One of the ones that came to mind just there was the ventriloquist who I used to really like. Oh, yeah. The ventriloquist I thought was like one of the best Batman, cre- like one of the best Batman I, villains. Absolutely. And yeah. then I saw the new 52 version and I wept. I, I know. Wept me too. Terrible. Wasn't that? That was just, ah. Uh, you know, we <laughs> should we should talk more about weeping DC and of course Villains United slash Villains Forever, Evil Forever, Forever Evil, or Dan DiDio's like same plot lines forever, whatever, whatever it's actually called, the event. It's actually called Forever Evil. Well, that's not true. It, it, there's Villains Month and Forever Evil, and they're two separate things. Right. Is it Now, this is the thing, Graham. I'm fascinated, because I feel like you really nailed it in your blog at Newsarama entry, which is Dan DiDio has a handful of ideas that he basically insists on doing until... Over and over and Until over they're again. done until right, they I stick. guess. Yeah, until they yeah. stick, right? That's kind of a weird, bad thing to be, wouldn't you think? Kind of? I mean, it's, traditionally? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the fact that this is the... I mean, it's got to be, what, the fourth or fifth Secret Society redo in, like, the last ten years? Yeah. It's kind so. of amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's the thing. I like the idea of the Secret Society, in mm-hmm. theory. Yeah. But it's got to the point where I'm sick of the Secret Society. Well, that's it. They somehow managed to blow it at each stage there. And even kind of that weird, like... um you know, that weird, like, evil wins storyline. It's like, you know, and then he gives it to Grant Morrison. He's like, okay, I'm going to do that. And and Final Crisis, relatively recently, and Dan is like, okay, okay, you didn't get it. Okay, so evil wins. Let's try it again. Yeah, Jeff, what can you do with it? Yeah, it, it's it's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost see why they're like, well, let's do it the new 52 version. Almost. But, I mean, Final Crisis was five years ago. That's right. really recent. Yeah, I think so. Yes, I think so, too. I mean, or rather, my frustration, and this is, frustration is the wrong word, but the thing that actually I think is a big warning sign about DC for DC is, like, you've got the new 52, you've got the full reboot, let's face it, like, for better or for worse, one of the things, one of the draws that sort of can keep people coming back to the new 52 is sort of the, hey, we haven't seen blank in the new 52. You know what I mean? Like, there is something that's kind of interesting that's basically like, you know, we, in theory, there's really only been two Joker stories in the first year and a half of the new 52, you know, one of which is just yeah, but, him getting but, his face pulled off, you know? Yeah, but then the other one kind of destroys the character. Well, right. Well, there is that. Like, that's the thing. The other one ended up with you being like, okay, I am so fucking sick of the Joker. I kind of hope we don't see him for another few years. Right. Which seems to be a massive fuck up. Okay, definitely. But the great thing about it is, is then, in theory, considering you've got stuff in, like, six-issue arcs, or even if you cut it down to three, isn't it, in theory, really easy to fill up two years of Batman stories with 
as reintroducing to other one, villains. Yeah, as yeah. opposed to one month where you go and here's everyone. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it really is just this weird like we need well, this I, to work. I, I agree with you and disagree with you at the mm-hmm. same time because I think if in like you know year four mm-hmm. we're still getting you've not seen whoever Killer Shrike until now and now he's badder asser than ever before I think if they were still doing those stories like everyone would have switched off oh sure well <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't think you can do that for, mm-hmm. for a really long time right and I also think that part of the reason they're doing Villains Month in this way is to basically take all of the hey kids come back and see this character reinvented and put it into one month to give themselves one massive blowout I think it's a really short term idea mm-hmm. because I feel like at best these people, like whoever is responsible for revamping these characters, is going to have, I mean, realistically, what two months to really think about it, right? At best, yeah. if not, you know, two weeks because they're writing seven of them. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It just it seems like a really amazingly short term uh, strategy from a company that has become known for short term strategies. Well, this is the thing that I find really fascinating. Is it really seems like you know. Um, you know, I used to talk about Marvel being my my crackhead friend that I didn't want to let come over because they steal all your stuff. Like DC is that was your friend who kind of apparently was able to maintain, and now they've just you basically you're like DC stop. You're going to lose your house and family and kids. You know what I mean? Like it's really creepy. There's a there is that level where I'm like. It almost feels like they're kind of like that. All that stuff where they're like, "Oh, we don't care about market share," is like now they're like, "Oh, you know what? Like, okay, we're gonna try and do." Marvel apparently does this shit all the time, and you guys dig it. So here we are. We're gonna do it, but of course, us being DC, we're not even gonna do that right. So it's going to yeah, we're gonna do be... it badly. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about Villains Month: I just don't understand. Literally, do not understand. Mm-hmm. So you're replacing all of these comics for a month with like villain-focused things. Mm-hmm. Why are they not like the Joker number one? Mm-hmm. Why is it the Joker number twenty three point two? Yeah, like does it? I it does not make sense to me. If you have fifty two one shots, why do you not treat them all as a first issue, as opposed to, you know, issue twelve point seven? That's a really it, good question. It, it, That's a really. I, good I question. don't get. I don't get the logic in that whatsoever. My I, I even right. Sorry, I need to go. No, 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 no. I think you're right. My, my, the closest thing I have to a theory about it is just purely that it's numbers game on the back end. Like it's strictly done so that you know, falling as it does on the second anniversary of the new Fifty Two, it gooses up their money and their sales so that you know, if it was just one shots and they were able to turn around in a general spreadsheet sheety way and say, oh, hey, look, like the new, fit, you know, DC Universe for the month of September is growing, you know, by dollar amount, you know, but this way I think that it's really important for them so that they can say, no, 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 none of these books have have shrunk. In fact, if you look at the months in September, they're actually higher than they were in the previous year, you know? So I think it's really important that all of, rather than just having one, you know, in other words, people are actually supposedly, you know, they've got to give results on the Superman spreadsheet and the Batman spreadsheet, and this is their attempts to kind of goose that up, you know, in a way that that the one-shots wouldn't show up on. 
just my theory. I just, I, I almost see that, but mm-hmm. I just think that if they're trying to do it as a market share grab or they're trying to do it as a bottom line, mm-hmm. they would make more money by saying everything's an issue one. Even if they said, like, you know, uh, Batman, Polar, Joker, issue one. Because right. as it is, the comic's just called like Joker issue twenty three point whatever. Right. Well, but see, and this is the other thing is, is I think that they are also aware that if it's Joker number one and it's none of the same creative team, no one's going to pick up. Yeah, you're. You, well, and this is I was talking with Hibbs about it because he's super frustrated. He's like, I don't like, I don't know how I'm going to handle this because a lot of subscribers. So basically, you know, a lot of comic shops have a sub base. So people like me, I'm saying I want every issue of Batman. So if this... But you're also saying I don't want every issue of this, right? Right. So it's kind of, it's one of those weird... For Hibbs, he's like, okay, so I treat this as a regular issue of Batman plus interest? Or do or do I t- basically not put this in my suburbs boxes because I'm hitting them up for a three ninety nine book that is, you know... He's like, Batman's one of the ones that at least Scott Snyder's working on, I guess. But there's a bunch of ones that are just fill-in names, you know? And he's like, I don't... He's like, I feel really uncomfortable. Basically, they're setting me up in a position where I have to decide, you know, where I... Am I, am I helping my sub-base by putting this book in automatically without asking them? Or am I milking the base, you know? And his thing is, is Hibbs is like, I'm going to have to just do a, a one-page insert talking about all these books and tell everyone that they've got to order them separate from the book if they want it just for this one time so yeah, which i think is the best way to do it i mean i'm gonna to have to go to my store and say i don't want any of these books because i don't yeah exactly and you i know like i put i put justice league in my pool list and there's four fucking justice league villains month comics and i don't want to i don't want any of them right exactly so but what dc is counting on is is that by doing it this way the retailers are like okay well I'm not dropping my orders for my subscribers, you know, so you've got a base order as opposed to a, well, this is just a new one shot. What the fuck should I base this on? My numbers for the movement number one, you know, like the movie, like yeah, the orders I, for uh, green team, you know, so. Yeah, I don't know. I just, it seems ish. It's, it's, it's a creepy move. It's a very, very, very creepy move um, in, in a way that I have like, really very unpleasant metaphors for but i i won't, I won't yeah it's 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 that. just a, it's it's a mess what's getting back to what you're saying a second ago um this weekend i read brightest day again Ooh, i got i, I got the three brightest day collections at the library that's so funny when i was at the library they had volumes two and three in there and i'm like i should pick those up and read that because i read the first volume of brightest day and was alternately like um kind of I was I was kind of I didn't think that it succeeded but I really sort of enjoyed what Jeff Johns was trying to do in a way you know cause... yeah well that's just it so I I read the the three volumes which mm-hmm. is what 20 issues or something yeah and I got to the end of it and I thought all of these characters were better off at the end of these series than they are in the new 52 yeah all of these characters are more compelling all of these characters have more of a hook there is more reason to read stories featuring all of these versions of the characters oh yeah yeah. Well, I and well, then I, I say, oh yeah, but I don't know what right. I, I but I just it made me think. Was the new fifty two just like a really terrible short term idea that has completely fucked them in the long term? 
Because it just got rid of all the history. Yes. And it didn't replace it with anything. Right. Right. The two biggest successes from the New 52 are Green Lantern and Batman, both of which didn't have their continuity reset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, except, I mean, we'll I see. mean, they did kind of, but the last few years were still completely consistent. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It's That's actually a really good question, because I feel like the other big successes, I think... The only one that's arguably on a cusp is Aquaman, you know, like, like Aquaman. Like if you've gone from the Aquaman at the end of Brightest Day into a new Aquaman number one, written written by Jeff Johns and drawn by so and so, Ivan Rice, I guess is that who's drawing it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it would not have sold the numbers that it would have sold, you know, because there was such a line-wide push for the new 52 that more people jumped onto that book and then ended up staying on the book because they it was something they wanted to read than I think you would have seen in just a regular... You know, I mean, in theory... I, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, think you, I think you could have gone spinning out of Brightest Day. It's, you know, the guys who did Green Lantern when you all loved Green Lantern. Which was essentially the promotion for Aquaman as it was. Right. Well, okay, and maybe, but if you, but with the new 52, you had outside advertising, you had returnability, you know, like maybe if they'd done it at those levels, you know. I mean, the thing that really sucks is is that the new 52 got relaunched. It looked like it was going to be, it had all these weird problems that I think for the most part have not necessarily stuck unless we see that the, DC's trade program is starting to drop over time. But I think generally all that stuff is doing well. The the new 52 was ended up being a short-term success. The problem is is that DC has absolutely no long-term thinking behind it. And anything close to long-term thinking that it does have is purely in terms of trying to figure out what the next level of money grab is. But I don't even think that's very long-term. I don't think this whole Villains event was really in place until four or five months ago, maybe, you know, which is really short-term. So, If I, I was being horrifically cynical, mm-hmm. I would say that Trinity War was meant to be much bigger than it ended up being, Yeah, and Villains Month was created to fill the gap for a universe-wide event. Yeah, could be could be but in that case what happened there you know what i mean like how can you that's not, a really good question but know? if you think about it trinity war was teased in the 2012 free comic book day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so it's not coming out until more than a year later <laughs> sorry i'm think just laughing it. it's still, it's i'm just laughing because it's like wow so dc is basically ripping off age of ultron with trinity war which was basically <laughs> ripping off Flashpoint. I'm I'm boggled here. No, 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 no. Um, you're right. No, but you know what I mean. Like it's really weird. It's really weird to tease something that far in advance that has still not happened. Yes. And then for it to be so small. Yeah, that it's because like a small like thing. like like we've said in the past. I think something went wrong with Age of Ultron as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially when you see the Infinity solicits and like Infinity in its second month has two spin-off miniseries and is crossing over into like eight books. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, I don't... I don't know. 
I, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sort of like, I, I'm taking the moment to stop and think about it. No, Age of Ultron definitely went sideways. I'm fascinated by the way, the idea that Trinity War has gone sideways in the same way, and that it was a line-wide event that ends up being a smaller event. Marvel's just somewhat a little bit better at hustling to, to try and slot in new events in the place of it, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think, here's the thing, I think DC's... A, fucking disaster right now mm-hmm. but I also think DC is in a better place right now than it was at the launch of the new 52 right well this is it but it's that it's uh, the thing that's unfortunate about it is is that it's falling apart so fast like if they kind of don't get their shit together in six months that will not be true I mean one of the things I was saying with Hibbs the other day is when the new 52 launched both you and he were like oh I just you know, I'll be shocked if like DC can hold their shit together for nine, you know, nine months into the new 52. And they made it twice as long. They made it about 17, 18 months. I mean, things were already falling apart by month 17 or 18, but it really okay, seems wait, wait. to be accelerating. So, so, here, here's, so where do you think the completely falling apart was? What What is your definition of really falling apart? Because well, I don't think, yes. I don't think they are any worse now than they were even with like month three of the new 52 like i think i think the wheels came off that that little jalopy really fucking quickly well okay i feel um i feel that it's what i would say is is that the new 52 had problems there there was a top half and a bottom half you know what i mean and the bottom half of the new 52 was in trouble like you said from month three where it became apparent that people had been thrown onto the books they didn't really have a direction for it it wasn't gelling and or the audience saw no compelling reason to stay with the book right so that's that's what i would call the bot the 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 part of the iceberg underneath the water right is the part that that was falling apart in like month three what i find fascinating is here at month 17 or 18 with maybe the exception of Batman and I guess Green Lantern, like all the sales for the top half books are sliding and the direction is for the, a lot of them is seeming very, very shaky. You know, like I could be wrong on that. It seems like Justice League with the Trinity War event, Jeff Johns was had that shored up enough to keep things going, but he's off Green Lantern. Batman's in okay shape. But the rest of the bat titles, I think, are kind of a wreck, um, and it just sort of seems like it just seems like the entire every the top half is now sort of struggling to hold things together, and now they're doing these weird ultra event type things to try and drive you know dollars and market share into it, you know. But yeah, I I, I can see that. I I feel that they are. I feel that what DC has needed since the launch of the new Fifty Two. Mm-hmm. Is good mid-level writers. Yeah, but they and keep alienating they have, people enough that they. That's can't what I was going to say. Those. I feel yeah. that they have just continually pissed them off. Yeah. But I feel that they ha- they potentially have a really interesting stable of mid-level writers right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think with Robert Venditti on the Green Lantern books and Green Lantern Core this week again, I think was a really good issue. Uh-huh. I'm genuinely surprised in the two Green Lantern books that have come out so far that for me they feel as fresh as what was going on before, if not better. Mm-hmm. They definitely feel more, uh, more easily 
readable without like because by by the end of Jeff Johns, even by launching the new fifty two, I felt that you had to invest in everything that had gone before in order for it to make sense. Mm-hmm. And I feel that that's gone now. Uh, so yeah, you've got Venditti, you've got uh, Sterling Gates, who I think is completely underrated, but but does really good work. You've got Peter Tomasi, wherever the fuck he's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, you've still got Jeff Johns, you've got Jeff Lemire, you've got Matt Kidd. Mm-hmm. I feel that they're getting like an, a good level, of, a good collection of writers that they don't seem to have pissed off. That's, of course, you know, let's wait until next week when they pissed everyone off. Yeah, yeah you've got Greg Pak as well. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you've got Greg Pak. I, I feel that there's they're potentially building a team. And the trick now is shut the fuck up, micromanagers, and let your team do work. Yeah, and I just don't think that, I don't, I don't really see much evidence that that is happening, but maybe that it is. Maybe that it is. Yeah, well, we'll we'll see. I don't know. Um, the uh, another writer that I I'm not sure if I want to call him a mid level or not. But uh, did you read Suicide Squad this week? I did. I picked up Suicide Squad 21 and read that. Yeah. What um, did you think? That's actually a tough question because I think I enjoyed. Um, I I think the first issue had a kind of like oh all these characters are potentially quite interesting and then Suicide Squad 21 was kind of Harley Quinn is really interesting you know but all the other characters I'm <coughs> excuse me I'm actually I think I'm more dubious about than I was at the end of issue 20 now admittedly a lot of them don't really pop up you know there's a lot yeah, more no, time no. spent on I, I feel that you really have you have Harley and Amanda and Jim Garden and the Unknown Soldier, and even then, you don't really have the Unknown Soldier. Yeah, you've got the he, Unknown he Soldier. And... He basically fights. Yeah, he exactly. Really do anything other than he yeah. has a fight. Yeah, he has a fight with with Deadshot, who's another member of the team. So, oh uh, yeah, Deadshot. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I I. Uh, it's funny. I can actually hear myself. I've been hearing. We're gonna have to figure out how to adjust these levels. <laughs> anyway, um, Suicide Squad in 21, it was interesting. I want to read the next issue. There were parts, the Harley Quinn stuff, I actually quite ended up liking. But I also felt a little, I was a little more ambivalent about this issue than the other issue, which is interesting because I wasn't 100% on board that issue. Do you f- disagree? Were you were you equally sold on this issue as, as prior? I, I was equally sold and arguably more sold. Mm. Um, because I really like the idea that Harley Quinn is going to be the mover and the shaker. Mm-hmm. And I like the play of Harley Quinn as kind of the smartest one there and putting on the act of lunacy. Yeah. I mean, the thing is really, really, really telling how she manipulates James Garden. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. That, I found that really, really great. I found her interaction with Amanda Waller really great as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she be- she became a much much more compelling character. I think you're right that she is the star of this issue, mm-hmm. to the the uh, to a fault. I, mm-hmm. I think it it sort of detracts from the other characters. Right. Um. But I I there was I was so interested in the portrayal of her, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what she seems to have set in motion from the end of the issue. Mm-hmm. That I I was yeah th- this was the oh I am definitely on board to this comic yeah and I think the Pat Zerker's art was really good as well that's what I was going to say is I think Patrick Zerker's art that's where I'm really in interestingly enough I don't, I'm not sure that his because you know it sort of teases a flash forward big action scene in Vegas thing 
that I am soon, of course, we'll find out more about next issue or at some point. And that, I was kind of like, that didn't move me. But actually, the, the fight scene between Deadpool and uh, Unknown Soldier, super short and super awesome. Like, it really was kind of... And then the sequences with Harley Quinn, the, the actual person people things, like it's lots of close-ups on their faces and their eyes. And he just does great acting, like really good facial acting in that sense. So no, I'm actually a pretty big fan of of the book for the, at least for the art. And I don't mean to diss Alice uh, at all. I would be, I'm checking it out to see where the story goes. But I did have the, um, by breaking the story into two parts and having the first part have such, like, kind of enormous scope in terms of carrying... Uh, having so many scenes and all the characters and everything in it and then having the second issue really narrow to the individual um, like three or four individual characters uh, it probably made sense it's, for the drama but it felt weirdly like I was looking through the binoculars. It feels very unbalanced. Yeah, yeah I felt like a, it, unbalanced. I felt looking through the binoculars the wrong way so um, so that's but that's fine. I think it's kind of you know, um, I think everyone who knows Cot's work, um, you know, and and knows his reputation thanks to the to the internet knows like he's really pretty. He's not he's not especially far along in his career as a writer. So this shows pretty much shows like a lot of talent and potential again. And that being said, I think that if it wasn't for the pack that Patrick Zerker's art really hooked me in both issues much more than I expected. I'm not necessarily sure that I would be as gung-ho to come back for the next issue. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, so that's me. I should mention, because of course we're getting to the point where we're getting ready to run out of time, uh, let me talk about two books that I really enjoyed and really got to give a thumbs up for. Um, although I thought it was a, maybe a little pricey, uh, Super Mag by Jim Rugg is great. I mean, it's really just, it's him doing all kinds of stuff, like, you know, reusing work that, that you know, runs from, like, you know, oh, yeah, here's, you know, a, a faux pinup that he did for someone else, and, oh, here's an experimental strip that he did, and, but, like, oh, he's the one of the, have you seen the book, actually? I have not, and you've actually just reminded me that I keep on seeing reviews about it and hearing people talk about it and being like, I've got to really check that out. It sounds great. And then every single time I'm in the store, I'm like, oh, I've forgotten. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it kind of makes sense because it's one of those things where it's also sort of uh, um, going to Excalibur comics. They maybe have two copies, and if you went down to Floating World, they'd probably have 15 you know what I mean? Yeah, like exactly. it's yeah. just just a lot easier. If, flo- if Floating Worlds was five minutes down the road, like Excalibur was, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. No, and I and, and I mean that there is actually the, a Die Hard uh, movie poster here that I think is like one of my favorite things ever. Like it's just brilliant. Um, but then a lot of the other stuff, it feels like a very goofy, larger scale issue of Eight Ball, I suppose. Uh, and that's a that's a good thing. So uh, I dug it. It, it's one of those things. If it was, I mean, you know, you got to price these things. It's at house books at nine ninety five. It's probably one of the cheaper at house books that you can pick up, and it's big and glossy paper, and it looks pretty nice. But you know, 
I'm still a little like at six ninety five. I'd be like running, or even seven ninety five. I'd be running around telling everyone to buy it. At nine ninety five, it feels just a little skimpy. Um, the empowered one shot by Adam Warren and John Statton, animal style, uh, is great. It's really good. I mean, it's it's very slight, and there's ways in which Statton's art. You know, I I so love Adam Warren's art. I'm kind of like, yeah, it's all right. It's, uh. but the idea of empowered fighting off uh, a bunch of um, giant mecha animal-based mecha robots at the alternate timeline superhero auto show is just really great. It's really it's Warren is one of those guys who just really knows how to take all the superhero tropes and kind of do that like adding just enough of the real world into it but in but only for the ends of making it more interesting so when, when he has a flashback to empowered as a college student with sort of a superhero major in god what what is her oh she's a superhuman studies major and one of the things that's great is is she talks about how superheroes use cars as weapons like gratuitously and then she goes on to talk about that's why auto insurance rates for superhuman populated cities are like five times higher than the national average because clueless capes keep rocking the popular but wasteful tactfully deficient car throw like dumbasses and one of the things is really lovely that is again just such a great um, Adam Warren idea is is that throwing a car at somebody which is all soft and crumple zony is like throwing a rock wrapped in bubble wrap and he's like it's inefficient kinetic energy transfer so one of the things that's wonderful about the superhero auto show is the way in which empowered uses the tactics of how to hit people with cars in like new and interesting ways and it's that's the whole point of the one shot and it's great it's just an absolutely delightful superhero comic that plays with superhero comic tropes just to make them sort of work better not not to make fun of them but like well if you're really thinking about it it's better to hit someone with an engine block than a whole car and let me show you why you know and it was great yeah that so. sounds good i i still am not i i've never got my into empowered the same way that you have mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like i've read it and i'm like huh this is cute right. and that's really where where it ends <laughs> i i like i i just i think i'm missing a gene no, I don't. I don't think so because it it was I I was so in the tank for Adam Warren, like so in the tank. In fact, in this big soup uh, comic book cleanout, I just found the whatever it is the fifteen twenty issues he did of Gen thirteen, and was like, oh my god, I'm so glad these are all here. And even though I'm just going to be getting rid of them, I guess I'll probably give them another read through. Uh, I was like so in the tank for Adam Warren and I was pretty much ready to give up Empowered after ish volume two I think maybe I think it was two or three I was like okay I'm not coming back for another one and then I don't know I read reviews online and I came and it's been steadily growing on me but it's very it's super super for I think even if you're a fan of Warren's work um, at least for me it's it's hit or miss um, the nice thing I think about Empowered Animal Style is as a three ninety nine one shot, like you don't really have to invest that much for it, and it's kind of like if you like it or people like it, 
it's kind of a good way to be like, oh, I want to read more of this and go into it, which is ironic because then you'll pick up all the rest of the trades and be like, this isn't really that much like what sold me. So, Exactly. Um, this is kind of disappointing after all. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just, it's just very different. Like, now that it's at volume six or seven, uh, Warren is figured out how to mesh his, like, comedy blackout sketches with his take on uh, superhuman tropes slash sexy um, soap opera hijinks, you know? And it's, it's, a, it's a hard balance even in the best of times. So it took him like three or four volumes to really get there. And that's, that's a huge investment of time and money for somebody, you know? It would be really hard for me to say, like, you know, it's it's totally worthwhile, but I think it's it's one of those situations where you run. It's really easy to run really hot and cold on it. So, while while you've been talking, I've just added the um, the two massive hardcover collections to my library list. So Ooh, see what that would be great. Yeah, I'd be really curious to see how that works for you. Um, then, uh, let's see, Batman, Superman Unchained, Walking Dead. I did not finish the rest of my other stuff. I don't know, I think... Oh, and I'm reading Lucy Nisley's Relish, which I love, and Jordan Gibson on Twitter had pointed me toward another food comic that I should be following that I haven't checked out yet, but I will be soon, because I realize between In the Kitchen with Alain Passard and Relish, I'm like... I'm just like, yeah, cooking comics, give me more. I, I cannot get enough of them, really. Um, and I think when you read Relish, Graham, you'll quite enjoy it. I, I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. And I've also just added that to my library list, because I was like, I always forget to actually look for it in stores. I'll add it while I'm talking to Jeff right now. Beautiful. See, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, the power of the internet. By contrast, I'm sure Graham will tell me about things I'll immediately forget about. Um, oh no, but I would not. I would not actually really recommend any of the other things I've read this week, oh, really? um, oh, which fun. are Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I'm still really enjoying. But at this point, it's like part two of the final story of the series. Mm-hmm. So you know, hey, everyone, jump on now! You'll get a lot out of it. <laughs> um, Jennifer Blood issue twenty eight, mm-hmm. which is the fourth of the Mike Carroll issues, and to give it its credit, it definitely zigs when I thought it was going to zag. Mm-hmm. Uh, but however, I think it zigged in a direction where I don't want to stay with it. Mm, interesting. Uh, I know you jumped off. I did. Because you were not impressed with, with Mike Carroll's first few issues. Uh, let's just say, seeing Jennifer Blood be set up to be a vigilante funded by a mysterious benefactor who is quite clearly evil, <laughs> I don't think I'm on board with that. I really, like, I was actually kind of interested in the escape storyline. Right. But now that she's out and that's that's the new setup, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I might be jumping off. Right. We'll see. Yeah. Um, and Star Wars issue six, the mm. final issue of the Brian Woods first storyline. Mm-hmm. And as someone, I can't remember who, someone pointed out on Twitter, um, there's a really weird moment in this where Darth Vader tells someone, may the force be with you. <laughs> Which huh. seems kind of not Darth Vader-ish, right? Yeah, it really doesn't. No, that's it's one not. Of, it's one of those things yeah. we are like. I mean, guess he could say it, but it just seems so hideously wrong. Yeah. They're like, huh. <laughs> um, meanwhile, in the mail today, Jeff. Yes. Guess, guess what I got from DC Comics. Oh, God. In fact, if you, if you put your camera on, 
I will show you. Okay, I'm now. Give me a second here. <gasps> oh! <laughs> <laughs> what no one else can see, listeners, <laughs> is uh, Ico Mail's the Before Watchmen Minutemen Silk Spectre hardcover. Oh, man. Uh, and this is what I want to read to all of you as we say goodbye for this week's episode. From the Afterward by Amanda Connor. So, working on this book turned me into a complete asshole for around 8 or 9 months. Aside from those who would insist that I still am for tackling this project in the first place, here are a few of the reasons that I was an asshole at that particular time. I turned a completely happy mate, Jimmy Palmiotti, into a discontented roommate who got stuck going to see movies and having lunches all by himself because I was too busy obsessing over this book and not giving myself any playtime. More often than not, I would wind up going to bed at 5 in the morning, and it would feel like I only could see Jimmy for an hour and a half each day. I became even worse than I already am at answering email, and I am certain that there are people out there who are wondering, what the hell? I still need to go through a bunch of old email and apologize profusely <laughs> to those I didn't respond okay, to. Graham, please tell me, like, I we should turn the camera on so you can see me weeping. Like, is the, is the thing. Oh, no, like, no, 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 wait. Oh, you, please. You, you're, you are near the point where you're going to weep, trust me. I didn't take very good care of myself at all. I got no exercise whatsoever, and I think my organs and lower back were making me pay for it. I drove my editor, Mark Chiarello, and his intrepid assistant editor, Cam- Camilla, completely batshit. Camilla doesn't have a last name. She's like Madonna. I'm all actually very relieved that those windows at the DC offices don't open. Just think about that for a second, everyone. And I plotted with Darwin Cook to take a sweet, sheltered 16-year-old girl and turn her life completely upside down, sideways, and inside out. Hopefully, I'm on my way to becoming more of an incomplete asshole. I'm still working on it, and I'd like to apologize to all those that I pissed off. I hope this book was worth all of the sweat and aggravation, because I'm sure as hell not working like that ever again. That said, the book was fun to work on, and I'm really happy with how it turned out. Now, are you ready for the punchline? God, alright, hit me with it. I'd like to dedicate this book to Dave Gibbons. (laughs) <laughs> Who told me, relax, it's just a comic book. <laughs> That's right, everyone. She dedicates the book to Dave Gibbons. Who told her, relax, it's just a comic book. So not only does she get a dig in at people who called her an asshole in the first place, not only did she then say that she'd never work in a book like this again, but then she ends with saying, I'd like to dedicate this book to Dave Gibbons. Who told me, relax, it's just a comic book. Amanda Connor, spectacular artist, spectacular passive-aggressive artist, too. <laughs> oh, my God. Amanda Connor. Applause. Here's one of the pool quotes from the back of the book, which I don't think really necessarily means what they think it means. <laughs> Before Watchmen Silk Spectre is a heartfelt, gorgeous story that feels less like a cash grab and more like art for art's sake. <laughs> They're still calling it a cash grab, DC. I hate to tell you, they're still calling it a cash grab. It just and feels less like a cash back. grab. Yeah, exactly. And they put that on the back of their hardcover. <laughs> Good job, DC Comics. I, 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 wow, wow. I really and with have... that, ladies and gentlemen, oh. we are leaving you for the week. Just let the words of Amanda Connor sink in. Let them. Embrace them. And if you felt bad about Four Watchmen before... Congratulations. <laughs> Bye! <laughs> I want to cry.
die cry. <laughs> Where are you, tears? Oh my god, Graham, that's amazing. 